Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the Week 16 preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And because of the holidays, happy holidays, everybody. Um, because of the holidays, we're going to break up the schedule uh, or break up the episode same way we did uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday. I got Friday off of work, so... I'm going to be spending Thursday night on the road driving home for the holiday. So the time that I would generally be using to produce the the episode, I'll be on the road driving. So what we're going to do is we're going to have our friend uh, Josh Edwards from 24-7 Sports for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, We're going to have our talk with him right now. And then we're going to have uh, the breakdown analysis and what now have you that I would usually put on the front and on the front and back end uh, of the interviews on Friday. So, uh, that we're going to have another two-part uh, preview episode, and this being part one, my conversation with Josh Edwards. Now, I know that some of you don't like it when I point out technical problems that I have. Um, I had this conversation with Josh over the phone, and uh, sometimes the the cell service wasn't that great, and we lost Josh in spots uh, from here and there. So I could only edit so much of that to to fix it. So if you hear some gaps and things like that, that's what it is. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So uh, I'm, I guess I'm just self-conscious about those kind of things. I want you to know I know it's there. So call me crazy. That's just one of my things. So uh, anyway, had a great conversation with Scott or Scott, I'm sorry, with Josh and, uh, you know, had a good time talking about these two teams and and, uh, you know, a lot of talk about the the future of the franchise, what to look forward to. They got a new GM. They hired midseason and uh, and whatnot. The, the future of Hugh Jackson, what the draft class has been like. And we did actually talk about the game that's taking place on Sunday. Crazy, right? I know. But, you know, very much kind of like the conversation we had with uh, Tracy uh, Sandler about the, the Bears and the uh, 49ers. Not a lot to talk about when your team's only won one game. Well, here we are talking about a team hasn't won any games yet and uh hopefully the bears will not be their first victim uh of 2017 so uh all in all a good conversation uh enjoyed having them on look forward to having them on for whatever reason uh in the future so without further ado it's myself and josh edwards previewing the bears and the browns for week number 16 (laughs) week number 16 has our beloved returning home to soldier field for the final time and what better way to close out the 2017 home schedule than with a visit from the Cleveland Browns and uh, here to help us preview this football game. And uh, not that we really want to, but more because we have to. But uh, Josh Edwards, 24-7 Sports. Josh, welcome back to the show, man. It's a little loose when you use the term football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, we have uh, we have some issues um, going on with these teams, man. And I, I got to admit, you know, I... I am surprised that the Browns are 0 and 14. I mean, I didn't think that they would come out of the gates and, you know, win 10 games or or anything like that, but I cer- certainly didn't think that they would become, you know, the first team in league history to to go back 
0-13 in back-to-back seasons to still be waiting for their first win, for, for Hugh Jackson to be on the cusp of finishing two full seasons and only having one win to show for it. Yeah, you and me both. I uh, I didn't think Cleveland was going to be on the doorstep of playoff contention this year, but I, you know, anybody that suggested that they would have the number one overall pick for the second consecutive year, I, you know, would have just laughed at them because I, I didn't think that was possible. I thought the talent was uh, upgraded a lot over last season, and yeah. uh, unfortunately, it just hasn't come to fruition. I mean, and that was the thing, man. I mean, I just like you know. First of all, you 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 they they play the draft perfectly. They have the three number one picks. They you know they land Deshaun Kaiser practically falls in their lap uh, in the second round, and you know they pick up some other guys. They get some free agents to help shore up the offensive line, and uh, uh, they get Greg Williams to to lead the defense, which you know thought that was going to be a much improved unit, especially with you know the number one. Uh, the number one pick coming in, you know, being the monster that he was at Texas A&M. And, you know, I mean, I've been keeping a close eye on the Browns just because I was interested to see what they were going to be like. And, you know, I was certain that a win was coming because in those first seven games, four of them were less than a field goal. I mean, that one game against the Titans even went to overtime. Uh, But in the end, they just keep coming up short. Yeah, that's kind of been the, been the story of the past couple of years, and and really just the NFL in general. It always seems to, you know, be a close game and come down to field goals. And you always look back on those mistakes that hurt you over the over the course of a game. And unfortunately, Cleveland has just had too many, whether it be clock errors or uh, penalties or just you know missed assignments, stuff like that, stupid penalties and things that uh, you ultimately look back on at the end of the game and you think, man, we were just a couple plays away if we hadn't done you know, what could have been and, you know, what's coming next year. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely been a frustrating season, but I really don't think there's anyone more to blame than this coaching staff. I mean, it's it's uh, it's been kind of a frustrating season. Well, speaking of 2018, it, it kind of feels like 2018 has already begun for the Browns. They're firing Sashi Brown and hiring a brand-new uh, GM in Dorsey at this point in the season just seems weird, but the first thing he comes in and does is throw Sashi Brown under the bus, uh, basically by saying he didn't put the right players uh, on the field, and then also at the same time saying that Hugh Jackson is safe to come back in 2018. Was that welcome news for you? Uh, yes and no, because if you kind of break down the situation, if if Cleveland had changed head coaches yet again it was going to set their process back for at least a couple more seasons right. as, you know, a new head coach came in and a new coaching staff and, you know, they changed schemes and the players get used to the new schemes and you bring in new players. It would have set the process back, but I think the coaching has more to do season than the executives in the front office have had this year because, uh, you know, Cleveland was taken down to basically nothing last year in Sasha Brown's first year as, as the general manager. So, uh, you know, if you were expecting Cleveland to be, turned around in the playoff team within two years you know you were incredibly short-sighted that was just never going to be possible you know so for the ownership to finally showing commitment to your head coach a bit he's he's getting a third season that's commitment in cleveland uh, hmm, but right. you know conversely you're getting rid of your front office yet again so uh you know there's always changes in cleveland and until they get some kind of continuity you know it's going to be more of the same so you know, maybe Hugh Jackson is capable of turning it around next year with what should be a more improved roster. But, you know, in my opinion, I think Sashi Brown has been made to be more of the scapegoat than anything else. He's he's done a fair job of of evaluating players 
you know, outside of the quarterback position. He's obviously had a few errors there with with Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz, but you know, it's hindsight is twenty twenty, and you know, there's ways to supplement that process rather than just blowing it up entirely. What do you think of the the new GM Dorsey coming out the way that he did? I mean, was it you know was it was it good to to see him kind of kick Sasha Brown Sasha Brown in the ass on the way out, or you know, what did it feel like a cheap shot? I mean, what's what's the initial feeling towards Dorsey for coming out and and doing what he did? I mean, it makes a statement, but was it the right one? Yeah, I don't want to say too much in terms of what Dorsey you know is going to be in Cleveland, but that was certainly an eye opening statement. Not only you know if if he had kind of made Sashi look bad that's one thing but to basically say that he didn't draft role players over the past two years is a shot towards some of the guys that are currently on your roster right as well as some of the guys that are still in the front office because Jimmy Haslam has mandated that uh, chief strategy officer Paul De Podesta the guy that was you know most known for his time with the Oakland Athletics and in Major League Baseball right as well as executive vice president of, of uh, player personnel uh, Andrew Barry, he said both of those two have to return next season. So here you've got your new general manager, your new boss, kind of basically taking shots at not only guys on your roster, but guys that are still part of your front office. So uh, I think the fact that he was so, you know, brass with his answer was a bit refreshing, but he's got to be a little bit more uh, refined in in terms of his message and what he's saying exactly, because there are still guys that are being counted on in that organization that he just threw under the bus. So he's going to have to be a little bit more careful with his words moving forward. But uh, he kind of addressed it today and said that he's, he's a football guy. He's not a wordsmith. He's a football guy. So that's his way of, of, of getting out from underneath the rock, but it certainly was a rocky start to say it, to say the least. But how did the how did the fan base in general accept it? I mean, you're you're a writer for twenty four seven. You know the comments and things like that. What have what have your readers been saying about that? Are they frustrated enough that that's exactly what they wanted to hear, or are they kind of perplexed like you are? Like, dude, some of the people that you were talking about still work for you. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit divided. It's okay. Really, anything in Cleveland is a little bit divided these days because less than a couple of weeks before Sashi Brown was fired, I ran a poll. Of, on our Facebook page to kind of determine where people were in terms of how they viewed Hugh Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was almost near split in terms of who they thought should, you know, if they shot, thought that he should leave or if they thought that he should be retained. So that's one area where they were divided. And then it was also divided on Dorsey's comments. It was kind of, you know, refreshing in a sense to hear him be so straightforward because that was one of the, you know, the weaknesses of Sashi Brown. He kind of dodged questions and danced around them, but Dorsey was much more straightforward, and I think fans can appreciate that. But at the same time, he's got to understand that there are better ways of doing that. And I definitely know where you're coming from uh, on that um, because I read an article by Jeff Dickerson from ESPN, who's actually been on my show uh, before. He's the beat writer for for the Bears on ESPN. He uh, wrote an article today saying how the Bears were the Browns of the NFC. And, um, you know, not exactly, uh, you know, an awesome read. Uh, to have to go through that the the logic you know seemed to to line up. I mean, we're about to we're about to, we're two weeks away from firing our third head coach and in, uh, in five years, and you know there's a there's a possibility the GM goes out with him and and all the rest of that stuff. We could be right back to page one 
once again if uh, if things don't uh, I mean things aren't going to turn around in the next two weeks but uh, you know what I mean it's like Black Monday affects the Bears yet yet again and it's uh, it's I mean it's definitely not the 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 length of time that that Cleveland fans have had to deal with it but we can definitely understand uh, understand and feel your pain at this point people can kind of start to understand the amount of frustration that that Browns fans have had since their return in 1999 because uh, it's just you know been like banging your head against the wall year after year. Um, it's 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 been frustrating. I mean, it's you've got the same mistakes that you see the the ownership repeat time and time again, and uh, you know it's gotten to the point where we're talking where I think the sanity of the fan base at this point, you know, there's loyalty, and then there's just the insanity that it has become, and it's it's uh, it's frustrating. So I wouldn't wish I wouldn't wish that on on my worst enemy on any given day because it's. I certainly wouldn't want the Bears to go through that any longer than <laughs> they've experienced the past couple of years. So let's let's talk a bit about the the season itself. I mean, obviously, there's you're you're zero and fourteen. Obviously, that's not there's not a lot of positives there. But you know, you had a you know one of the better draft classes, or at least it was heralded as as one of the better ones. You know, the top four picks were were were, were top flight players. You're the number one overall pick. You got Jabril Peppers. Njoku the tight end and then Kaiser in the second round and uh and everything how has the draft class been performing despite the fact that they haven't pulled down any W's yet yeah this is it's you know this is part of of my frustration when you you know try to make Sasha Brown out as the scapegoat because I've become the the uh franchise leader in touchdown receptions for a rookie tight end now over Ozzie Newsome um he's had a pretty good year Jabril Peppers has been a little bit disappointing, but he's just the most talented, most athletic safety that Cleveland has right now. So he's playing more of a free safety role, whereas he's probably better suited as a strong safety. Uh, and then you've got Miles Garrett, who has looked apart when he's healthy, but that's you know just been part of it. He's he's got to stay healthy. So I'm very happy, I think, with what I've seen from those three players. And then you've got some mixed in uh, successes on the back end of the draft. You've got the third round pick defensive tackle uh, Larry Ogunjobi, who's performed at a very high level, especially in, in stopping the run. Uh, we've seen some good things from sixth-round defensive tackle Caleb Brantley. Uh, you've got the rookie kicker, who's kicking a little bit better lately, Zane Gonzalez. Uh, Matthew Days, the seventh-round draft pick, has done some good things. So I, overall, I think it's a pretty good draft for the Browns. And uh, Obviously, it's the first season, but I'm, I'm pretty how this group goes. You know, not only the final two games, but over the next couple of years. Uh, right, definitely. I mean, it's um, you know, I mean, and it's it's been interesting to, to to watch. I mean, like I said, those first seven games, the Browns just seemed. I mean, especially week one, you you you're a field goal away from from beating the Steelers at home to to start off the year. Uh, a couple weeks later, you're on the road. You you know, you're you're getting to a tight one with Indianapolis. Then the overtime game against the uh, against the Titans. Uh, a couple weeks later, you guys get off to a fast start against Detroit, and then that one kind of fades on you at the end. And then, of course, two weeks ago, the home game against Green Bay. I mean, you guys had to think that that was the day, right? Yeah, uh, there have been you know a handful of times over the course of the season where you kind of think it was the day, mm-hmm. uh, and and it goes back to the same reasons that I referred to earlier. There was always something that came up. Uh, you know, just coaching errors, whether it was missed, you know, time management or, or whatever it may be. 
Cleveland always finds a way to lose. You know, there there are teams that find a way to win, and then there are teams that find a way to lose, and that's Cleveland. They're they're the ones that you know snatch snatch a loss from the victor or from the jaws of victory. It's mm-hmm. it's uh it's just what they've become since since 1999. There's been some promising games, like you said, against the Colts, the Jets, the Titans. Uh, you know, they they were very much in the game against the Chargers and the Jaguars. And, right. Uh, the defense played very well those games, but, you know, they're not getting enough production from the quarterback position. So uh, it, it seems like when the offense shows up, the defense doesn't show up. And then when the defense shows up, the offense doesn't show up. So that's just been the, the level of inconsistency that we've had from the Browns all year. And it's it's not so bubbled into this 0-14 record at this point in the season. Yeah, I, I can't help but uh, but chuckle to myself when you mention how the, you know, sometimes the defense shows up and the offense doesn't. It you know, doesn't because you're you're describing the Bears. I mean, two weeks ago we had the 49ers at home. Uh, they hadn't they had only won one game all season. They come into Chicago. The Bears score a, a touchdown on special teams. We won the turnover battle. And we didn't allow a touchdown, and we were the first team in NFL history to do those three things and still lose the game because our offense only generated one touchdown and uh, was on the field half as long as the 49ers were all day long. But the defense showed up, kept the Niners out of the end zone, gave up five field goals, and that ended up being the difference in the football game. We lost by 1.15 to 14. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it's it's been the tail of the tape for the Bears like that all week, all season long, doing things like that. When one unit shows up, another one doesn't. We almost lost the game in in Baltimore against the Ravens because the special teams unit took the day off. the 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 offense put up twenty four points. the The defense held the the Ravens offense to nine, but we gave up two kick returns for a touchdown, and that's why we we ended up having to go to overtime. Uh, to settle that one. So, I mean, it's been like that all season long where uh, a unit will pick a day, you know, they all take different days off, and uh, that's why we're 4-10 and 10 instead of probably like 8-6 and six or something like that at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Cleveland had Green Bay on the ropes going into the fourth quarter. You know, they were up two touchdowns, and e- even with six minutes left, they had a two-touchdown lead. Yeah. It just goes back to the point where Cleveland finds ways to lose, but you know, on that particular day, it's funny that you mentioned special teams because the final score was set up by a long punt return, you know, for Green Bay. So yeah. uh, it's it's just incredible. You know, you think you've seen it all, and then there's just some new scenario that uh, just pops up and completely surprises you, and that's exactly what happened against Green Bay. I think they had a 94% chance to beat Green Bay with like six minutes left or something like that. And, you know, it's that 6% that ends up being – the the percentage that bites you in the end but that's uh kind of what has led to just this negative attitude of browns fans is you just kind of expect to lose until you know you're proven otherwise and uh unfortunately it, it seems like the bears and the browns have been able to relate to that a little bit too much this year yeah i mean i i think it was i think it maybe it was you that i was talking to or maybe uh the the steelers guy one of the two that i was talking to where i I compared our two divisions to each other, where the Packers are like the Steelers. They're the perennial team that's almost always on top. The Ravens were the the Vikings, the team that's kind of always knocking on the door. 
Um, the Bengals were the Lions because they're the team that they make the playoffs this year, the next year they're that, you know, they're hot and they're cold. And then that only left the Bears to be compared to the Browns. And I kind of painted myself into a corner. But the funny <laughs> thing was, that's exactly what's happened this year, except this year the Vikings are the first place team and the Packers are the team that's, that's you know, hanging on or, or struggling or actually were officially eliminated from the playoffs uh, yesterday, but otherwise, that's exactly you know mirror images of the of the two divisions, and unfortunately, that paints the Bears into the corner to be the Browns of the NFC. Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty good analogy. That's the way it's at least you know proven to be over the past several years. But if there's one thing to kind of hang your hat on, it's the fact that you haven't had to do it as long as the Browns. Right. So <laughs> uh, I guess there's that positive part to it. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, eventually that egg has to crack, though. I mean, we we watched the Jaguars do it for years, always drafting in the top five. And, you know, the last few years they've been ravaging, you know, free agency, throwing money at just about anybody who were willing to take it. And it's like, eventually this has to work out for them. I mean, look at who they have on their team, all that top of the draft talent that they keep drafting year in and year out. That's got to turn around at some point. And then finally this year, after how many years, the Jaguars are 10 and four They're They've clinched a playoff berth. They're finally going back for the first time in a decade. You'd have to think that with the Browns and the bears drafting in the top 10, the last few years, um, it's got to turn around at some point that all that talent's going to kick in and take them where they want to go. Yeah, statistically you would think that, but right. it, it seems like Cleveland has been an anomaly for that since, you know, over the past 18 years or so, but uh you know, I'm I'm incredibly optimistic in terms of the amount of assets that are available to John Dorsey this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um if he's worth his his salt as an evaluator at all, he'll be able to turn this franchise around and at least make them competitive within 2 years at least because I really don't think this roster is too far away. And then you start to consider they've got five picks in the first two rounds, including two top five picks overall yeah. right now, yeah. uh, thanks to the one from the Texans, plus roughly $110 million in salary cap space. So, uh, you know, there's there's room to make ample changes to this roster this offseason, and uh, if they're able to do so, they – again, I said this before this year, I would I was surprised that, you know, they would be the number one overall pick this year, but – I would be extremely surprised if they were the number one overall pick next year if you know they were even remotely successful with the assets that they have available to them this offseason. Do you think that number one pick is going to be a quarterback? I think it has to be. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I obviously I I go through the situations in my head where uh Cleveland has passed on Deshaun Watson, they've passed on Deshaun Kaiser or not Deshaun Kaiser, Carson Wentz. Um, you know, and I could see them bringing in a veteran quarterback so that whichever rookie they do bring in, you know, doesn't have to start right away. Like, you know, the the mistake that they've made in the past, Mm -hmm. but I definitely think that they have to take a quarterback number one overall, just because, you know, they've kind of painted themselves into that situation. They've passed on quarter for so many years that, uh, they finally got to take a chance on one at the top of the draft, you know, whether that's Josh Rosen or if Sam Darnold elects to come out, they kind of have to do that because they are clearly not getting what they need from Deshaun Kaiser at this point, and they can ill afford to to not take a quarterback this year because if they do get substantially better next season, then you're talking about, well, all right, you know, you're, you've got about a, you know, the 10th overall pick, 
and you're out of range for a franchise quarterback or one of those top two quarterbacks, and you know you're just kind of repeating history. You passed on a quarterback, and then you're out of reach of getting a quarterback. So eventually, you kind of have to take the leap and just hope it works out for the best. It's it's kind of silly that you have to think in that way, just because uh, it's almost like you know you, you believe that you have to take a quarterback because that's what the the fans want you to do, or that's what the media wants you to do, but. That's exactly where Cleveland is. They can't afford to let evaluations come into it, in a sense, because they have to take a quarterback. They can't say, well, you know, Josh Rosen's a good quarterback, but this Saquon Barkley guy, he's looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, they just can't afford to do that. Well, I mean, it's it's surprising to me that it's taken this long. I mean, I know he, he doesn't have the final say, but it's taken this long for Hugh Jackson to get his hands on the top quarterback in the draft when he's been there both of his years in, in, in Cleveland. He, sh- he had a shot at Goff or Wentz last year. He had a shot at anybody that he wanted, you know, with Trubisky, Watson, you know, uh, Mahomes, whoever it was that he wanted, he had a shot at anybody. And he had a shot again, uh, you know, after they passed on Trubisky at number one, they go and they get Miles Garrett, and then there they are sitting at 10, and boom, anyone who isn't Trubisky is still there. They pass again and, and trade the pick and, you know, Watson goes to, to Houston and, and unfortunately he had the knee injury, but you know, it, it proved to, you know, two years in a row, it, it, it didn't work out as far as, or it proved not to be the right move because the guys they passed on ended up being good players. I mean, even, even Trubisky, he's had an up and down year, but that was more about the people around him than about his talent uh, in, in, in Chicago. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's su- surprising that that Hugh Jackson, known for being a guy that could nurture quarterback talent, has you know is going into year three or everyone thinks so anyway, and he still doesn't have his franchise quarterback yet. Yeah, you kind of get all these you know contradictory reports that come out you know saying Hugh Jackson has wanted Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo more than any other quarterbacks he's had the opportunity to take. And uh, obviously he didn't really have a chance at either one of those. New England kind of steered the trade to San Francisco for Jimmy Garoppolo. And then, you know, they obviously had a chance to take Carson Wentz. And whether or not you believe it, he was pretty high on Carson Wentz, and he actually thought the Browns were going to take him. So, uh, you know, obviously that hurts in hindsight because you know what Carson Wentz has become. But had other opportunities to get their quarterback too. I mean, like you said, they passed on Deshaun Watson at – uh, you know, number 12 overall, and then they, you know, tried to trade for A.J. McCarron during this past season. And yeah, that too. Fortunately, I think, I think fortunately they I were not too. able the, to the, complete the, that trade because yeah, the price was you know, way, they gave too up steep. way too much. Yeah, that price was way too steep uh, for, for A.J. McCarron. I mean, it's, uh, you're talking about the first pick in the second and third round of the draft for A.J. McCarron. It was just, that's way too much. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, that's, you consider that you know, the 49ers got Jimmy Garoppolo for a second-round pick, and he looks every bit the part of a franchise quarterback. He's been extremely impressive, and uh, I think they're going to be set for, for several years. But Cleveland's still in the market for one. They're still looking for their quarterback. And I don't think throwing multiple picks, especially high picks like that, at A.J. McCarron was going to get it fixed because, you know, that's a guy that really hasn't had any, you know, real meaningful experience himself. Uh, so to give up that many draft assets would have just been completely against what the Browns had been trying to do at that point, which was stockpile draft picks. Um, so I think it ultimately benefits them to have 
you know, not completed that trade, especially when you consider that McCarron could be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. Uh, you know, maybe Cleveland goes back after him then. Maybe they make a run at Alex Smith from, from Kansas City. Uh, maybe Andy Dalton gets released now that Marvin Lewis is headed out of town. So uh, it's going to be definitely the most entertaining offseason that we've ever seen in terms of the quarterback position. Uh, and I think Cleveland's going to have some role in that, whatever it ends up being. So uh, the fact that they didn't go after A.J. McCarron and, and land him, I think, is, is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, because the, the only upside I could see to that entire deal was familiarity with with Hugh Jackson and whatever offensive system Jackson is running. So, I mean, basically, you know, you would think that he could hit the ground running having familiarity with Jackson. But outside of that, you know, to, to, to like you said, to, to put that many draft assets to go in and, and get a guy you could probably get for nothing in the offseason uh, would have been a huge mistake. And it's, it's lucky that, um, you know, the Browns, uh, and according to the story anyway, that the Browns found a way to screw up that trade and it didn't go through. That almost seems like, you know, it was worth being made fools of or being made fun of uh, for that trade not to go through and uh, for it to, you know, to, to give up those draft assets for a guy you could have gotten for free in the offseason. Yeah, it probably depends on who you ask because I right. think that's one of the final nails in the coffin for Sashi Brown. And I think he was the one that didn't want to complete that trade because draft assets mean so much to him. And I think ownership as well as Hugh Jackson were kind of pushing for that trade to be completed. But, uh, you know, obviously they still have their jobs at this point. So it uh, probably depends on, on who you ask in regards to that trade. But uh, for my money, I'm glad that they didn't didn't get that completed because now, like you said, they could still – make a run at him possibly in free agency and, you know, not have to give up anything more than a contract. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that you and I talked about this when I had you on uh, over the summer was that, you know, I do kind of have this sentimental attachment to uh, the Cleveland Browns because when I was growing up and I was cutting my teeth on, on football, one of the marquee matchups in football was the, the Browns and the Broncos meeting in the playoffs just about, every year some of the more classic you know games in the in the late 80s in the playoffs you know were played between those two teams and I was watching them you know with bated breath those were fantastic games and Cleveland was always in the mix uh, for the playoffs and and all that kind of stuff so you know the sentimental part of me would like to see them get back to that again you know I, I don't like to see the same team sitting as doormats especially when one of those teams is mine but you know, to, to you know, to watch the Browns in in constant suffering, to to have their franchise basically taken out from underneath them when Modell moved the moved the Browns to Baltimore to become the Ravens, and then you guys are given an expansion team, and it's basically it's it's like it's 1999 every single year because some way somehow the Browns always end up still looking like that expansion team. Yeah, and it started with trying to take Tim Couch with the number one overall pick in 1999 and, you know, sticking him behind an expansion franchise and basically, or an expansion offensive line and basically saying, you know, go do something. Yeah. Uh, and it cost him his career. I mean, that's a guy that took several hits. He uh, had to go through several surgeries and he's, in my opinion, he was a much better quarterback than he ever got to show. Uh, you know, the amount of time that you have in the pocket is ultimately going to dictate, what you're able to do down the field. And that's, you know, kind of how you make a name for yourself. So uh, to my, in my opinion, he's probably still the best quarterback that Cleveland has had since their return. 
1999, which is, you know, kind of sad to think about. And probably several people would disagree with me, but you know, whether it was 1999 and you stick a quarterback behind an expansion franchise or, uh, you know, you, you move on down the line with the number of mistakes that they've had along the way, whether it be front office or draft picks or head coaches, you know, it's, it's just been one thing or another. And then you have, you know, 2017, you're 0 and 14 with two games left. And, you know, they're the, the fan base is talking about having a parade for going winless. So it, it's definitely a fall from grace in terms of this proud tradition and this proud history of the Browns and, and their fan base. But, you know, that's exactly where it's come. So I, I hope maybe not at the expense of the Bears, but definitely the Steelers, that Cleveland's able to avoid that goose egg, mm-hmm. you know, in those final two games. But uh, it's it's definitely a little bit, uh, sad in terms of just how far this historic franchise has fallen over the past 18 years. Yeah, I mean, a buddy of mine and I were talking uh, the other day about um, we are watching the, the Bears and the Lions play on Saturday, and, and one of the banners hanging up in Ford Field was their last championship from 1957 when they beat the Cleveland Browns. And now we both know that was a huge deal back in the 50s because the Browns played in just about every championship game in the 50s and you know losing was not a common occurrence for the Browns back then you know being one of the perennial powerhouses uh back then and you know and, and having that resurgence in the 80s and always being in the playoffs and then basically never really recovering from uh Modell taking the team uh out of the out of the city and then basically having to take the scraps that the NFL uh gave them simply out of pity i mean i mean you hate to put it that way but it yeah. it almost feels yeah. like it like that's why cleveland has a franchise because the nfl felt sorry for him yeah i mean it, it kind of ended pretty poorly there when art modell decided to move the team there was you know a lot of a lot of legality issues in terms of you know the lease that was on the stadium and and obviously uh you know the passion of the fan base that was left behind but you know whatever the decision you know the the determining factors that went into the decision to to bring the the Browns back to Cleveland. It was the right decision because you know as bad as this franchise has been, their fan base is still you know one of the better ones in the NFL, especially yeah. uh, you know in comparison to what I've you know because I live in Cincinnati, so uh, I've been able to see the Bengals franchise firsthand. And if you want to compare the two, there is no comparison. The Browns have been much more loyal of the fan base. Well, I mean, I, I can definitely agree with you there. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago when the Bears were in Cincinnati, um, you know, you can definitely tell the fan base has checked out on the team because, number one, the stadium was half empty even before kickoff. And then as the Bears went through the game, you know, pretty much from the second quarter out, they it was all Bears from that point. It was actually quite enjoyable uh, to watch. But, you know, it's like the the longer the game went, the fewer Bengal fans that were there till at the end of it, it was basically, you know, bear fans celebrating this victory with a few extremely loyal Bengal fans and nobody else in about a three quarter empty stadium by the time it was all uh, said and done. Yeah. Like I said, living here in Cincinnati, you kind of get a feel for just how fickle this fan base has been. Um, You know, you're talking about a guy like Dalton who took them to to the playoffs and then the or the Bengals turn around and host the MLB All Star Game, and uh, he was a part of the celebrity softball uh, game, and he was end up getting booed by the fan base. So, wow. I mean, if you want to talk about if anybody had played 
or led the Browns to a Pro Bowl or to the postseason, you know, that that guy would have been revered in Cleveland. He wouldn't have had to pay for anything over the course of his career the rest of his life. Um, what was the quarterback, uh, Kelly? Um, Kelly Holcomb. There you go, Kelly Holcomb, that, that almost got – well, got you to the playoffs in 2002 yeah. and almost got that victory over the Steelers uh, in that wild card game. I mean, there's a guy that's never buying a beer again. Yeah, I mean, that was the year that – I mean, Tim Couch technically pretty much got him there and then he right. was injured – and Kelly Holcomb steps in against the Steelers in the playoffs and uh, unfortunately couldn't get the job done, but that's you know the last time the Browns have been to the, to the playoffs. And Kelly Holcomb probably doesn't have to pay for anything in Cleveland ever again. <laughs> How many coaches has Cleveland had since they came back? I've lost count. I, I, I would have no. to take off my shoes at this point for sure. <laughs> it's, it's been bad. Yeah, I don't think I could even name them all. But you know, I just know no, that they're be tough. You know, yeah, there have been several. You, got, you had Joe Thomas, Joe Thomas, who was trying to name all the quarterbacks that he's, you know, tried to block for over the past eleven years or so that he's been in the league, and he can. I think he eventually did it, but there was one quarterback that he was, you know, really, really struggling with at the end. So, <laughs> if your Pro Bowl left tackle can't remember all the quarterbacks that he's blocked for, that's probably not a good sign. Yeah, especially for a guy who. I mean, and talk about a story that broke my heart, man. When when he went down with that tricep injury after you know ten thousand uninterrupted snaps in his career, for him to go out that way, it was just like, oh man, this is a guy that suffered through all of it. You know, every single one he hasn't missed a game, hasn't missed a snap, and he goes down uh, like that. I mean, talk about something that uh, you know that, that uh, I'd rather forget about twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's. Uh... You know, it's one thing to lose all these games on a weekly basis, but to see a guy that's put so much of his, you know, physical and mental energy into uh, not only the team on the field, but off the field as well. He's been a great asset to the community and, you know, never been a distraction away from the field or anything of that nature. So uh, to kind of see him go down, especially the way that he did, uh, you know, you could just kind of tell that it was over for him. And it was definitely probably the most heartbreaking point of the season. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, definitely understand uh, that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, those those are the guys that that your heart goes out to, you know, especially because you know, because he's been, you know, vocal with his opinion, like, you know, don't fire this guy, I don't want to start over again. I'm in the, I'm getting to the twilight of my career. I'm too old to be, you know, to have to keep starting over with somebody new. It's like just give the guy a chance and see what he can do but instead it's you know if you got two years in cleveland then management's been generous with you yeah exactly it's it's uh you know you can't even pinpoint one reason for why any of this has happened it's uh you know just a different reason every single year and that's what i was getting back to earlier when you talk about a coach getting a third year in cleveland that's as close as you get to commitment because you know, that history just isn't there. Right. So let's wrap up here real quick. Um, we're, we're, you are playing the Bears on Sunday, so your chances of victory are not as bad as you might think. Uh, so who are some <laughs> of the players that we should be watching out for uh, on Sunday? Because I understand you guys ran up like 200 yards on the Lions uh, not too long ago when you guys played them. Who Who's the... Who's the running back that we have to keep our eyes out for so he doesn't smoke us for 200 on Sunday? Yeah, uh, you know, over the the final half of the season, I don't know how they've done it, but they've been able to get a running game going. So 
you know, whether it's the offensive line coming together or whatever it may be, Isaiah Crowell has had a has had a pretty good year this this last half. Uh, and and you know, you would kind of expect that he's entering a contract year, so he's got a little bit more to play for. But uh, combined with him and Deshaun Kaiser's ability to run, and then you've got Duke Johnson who is averaging over five yards a carry himself. You know, that's a recipe for success down the stretch. Unfortunately, they have not necessarily been in the position to run the ball late in the game, so right. uh, haven't been able to kind of stick with it the way that many had hoped. But Isaiah Crowell is definitely playing much better lately. Deshaun Kaiser is probably a guy to watch for this week simply because he is uh, he's consistently inconsistent, as I like <laughs> to say, because you know he wasn't good last week, which means he's probably going to be good this week. Right, and uh, that's just kind of the way it's been for him this entire season. He's he's not necessarily put two bad games together, but he's not necessarily putting two good games together either. Yeah, and you've just uh, you just described the Bears' offense in general. You know, to <laughs> to have a peak performance like we did, put up thirty four points on the Bengals, to follow it up by you know ten points and four turnovers against the Detroit Lions a week later. Uh, that's that's our offense in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this. Uh, what's what's building up to be this historic game on Sunday between the two teams? It's I'm sure the the you know the several thousands of people that are in attendance are going to enjoy this Christmas Eve showdown between the Browns and the Bears and uh, this battle for draft order at this point in the season. Yeah, I, I do know of one person that is guaranteed to be in attendance. One of my more loyal listeners from the from the UK. Uh, of all places, he's actually flying wow. over here to uh, to come uh, and watch the Bears. Uh, and the, he always makes the travel because uh, we're also friends on Facebook. So I always see his travels. He's been down to Dallas to see them play the Bears in, 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 in the Jerry Dome and uh, and what have you. And he always makes a trip out here at least once a year to see the Bears play up up close and personal. And of for whatever reason. This is the game he's chosen to show up for uh, this year. I don't know if it's you know the 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 bear game and the holiday all wrapped up into one or whatever the case is this is the game he's coming to see so he's flying across the pond to see this one i hope it's worth his while no matter what the outcome is so um you know i'm I'm interested to see what's what's going to happen uh which bear team shows up and will that affect it uh can the bears get a clean sweep against the afc north because We've got four wins, and three of them are against the AFC North with only Cleveland in our way from a perfect season, uh, you know, uh, on the schedule. So, I mean, how crazy is that? <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, good on him for making, you know, the travel to the to the U.S. for that game because I, I guess if you, you know, you sit there at the beginning of the season and you're trying to figure out what game to go to and what game is probably going to be a victory and wanting to experience a victory, <laughs> Cleveland's probably your best opportunity. Uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. And that would definitely be something if, if Chicago was able to sweep the AFC North, it would, it would be something if Cleveland of all teams would be the ones to break it too. So believe me, uh, no matter I, how the outcome turns out to be, it's going to be something. That is how, that is how this season is going. It would be perfect to, to kind of encapsulate this year. If we could beat the, the Steelers, the Ravens and Cincinnati with Baltimore and Cincinnati being road victories of all things, and then lose at home against the Browns when they're winless on the 15th week of the season. So that would be 
Absolutely. Just put a perfect bow on it. Like, you know, it would be ridiculous if John Fox made it into the locker room before he was fired if we lose to Cleveland on Sunday. No disrespect. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, it can't happen. It shouldn't happen. You know, like I said, the, the Bears are not better than a lot of teams, than most teams, but you could definitely put them ahead of Cleveland or so one would think. So, you know, it's it's kind of uh, just do the math on this one. But, um, you know, with the way the team has played and how inefficient we can be on offense sometimes, it's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to win this game on Sunday. I mean, I'm picking the Bears to win, but it's not my most confident pick of the season, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I obviously wouldn't be surprised if Chicago won, but there's something in the back of my head that tells me that, that Cleveland has a good chance to win this Sunday. And I think it's part of me just, you know, being blindly, I guess, optimistic with the idea that Deshaun Kaiser cannot play two bad games in a row the way he has. Um, you know, and, and I think if you get some good quarterback play, the defense has played well enough to possibly get you to the end of the game. And if you've got those two combined, you've got a shot. So, you know, if Deshaun Kaiser can get the ball to Corey Coleman and he can get the ball to Josh Gordon and, you know, Cleveland can get their run game going this week, there's should be interesting. It might not be the most, you know, pretty display of football, but uh, one of these teams has to come out with a victory, and I, I guess it wouldn't surprise me who ultimately did either way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland won, because like I was saying a minute ago, the, you know, the optimistic pessimist in me says that, you know, chances of, the, of a victory for the Bears is pretty good. We've played well at home uh, this year. Um, you know, we're consistently inconsistent. We played our crappy game at Detroit, so therefore we're due for a good one. But I got to say one thing. If this thing is close at the end, I'm crapping my pants all the way till the final zero. I swear to God, you know, I, I, I think that if the Bears get a healthy lead, then we'll be in good shape. But if Cleveland keeps it interesting all the way till the end, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be dead before Christmas Day. I swear to God. It's like I, I just won't be able to handle if we if we lose a tight one to the Browns at home, see, I think you should actually be in be feeling a little bit better if if it's a close game all the way to the end because, like I say, Cleveland, you know, notoriously finds a way to lose, and a lot of that is because of their depth issues. You know, they they don't have a lot of depth, and that's hurt them at the end of games. So, uh, you know, if it's a close game towards the end and Chicago's still right there, I think that bodes pretty well for them. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's just kind of been that season, but. Uh, you know, Cleveland's done a fairly good job of keeping games close for the most part into, you know, the third, the fourth quarter. So it's usually the fourth quarter that ultimately gets a little bit of separation. So right. uh, if it's close towards the end, that might be where uh, where Chicago makes their move and ultimately puts it away. Right. I just love how this conversation has spiraled into the two of us talking about how our team is going to blow it at the end. <laughs> As opposed to exactly, talking about exactly. the merits, the merits of each of our organizations and and what you know why why we will be yeah. standing tall at the end of it instead of like now, nah, dude, it's gonna be you. Like now, nah, dude, yeah. it's gonna be you because I've been watching this team <laughs> and you don't know. Like no, dude, you don't know. They suck, and <laughs> that's what this conversation just turned into. So I just think that's a that's a perfect way to end. And uh, one more thing I want to add: if it does go the way that you know that people think and. The Browns finished the season imperfect. That the one thing that we will have learned from all of this is that if you're a team that's on the border of being a team like this, the last thing that you want is to go undefeated in the preseason because 
That's yeah, what happened to the exactly. Lions in 2008, and the, the yeah. Cleveland Browns were a healthy 4-0 and at the end of the preseason and haven't uh, – haven't hoisted a victory. Uh, haven't hoisted a victory since. So, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. I'll I'll say this has definitely been uh, the friendliest of debates. <laughs> well, Josh, I appreciate you uh, coming back on, and uh, you know we uh, we appreciate you giving the time and, and uh, helping us talk our way through this. And uh, hopefully, the game is as entertaining as this conversation uh, has been. And and uh, no matter what the outcome. I, I hope it is uh, entertaining because if, if the only thing that I love more than than the Bears is good football, and I hopefully that these two teams can put at least a decent game together for us. Yeah, no doubt. However, however it ends up this weekend, uh, you know, best of luck to the Bears. Obviously, I've I've enjoyed being on this a couple times this year, and uh, you know, other than that, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. And hope you have a hope you ha- hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Josh Edwards, where can we find you online, my friend? That is Cleveland247sports. So that's CLE.247sports.com. All right. And uh, you can also follow him on Twitter. And Josh Edwards, thanks so much uh, for coming back, man. We appreciate it. Yep. Anytime, Larry. Thank you. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed.